0: There's no one righteous, not even one. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sights by the works of the law. Rather, through the work of the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God, a righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Where then is boasting? It's excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that very same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come here and sing and worship and pray. And now as we turn our attention for a few moments to uh, the reading of your word, we pray for a better insight and understanding on who you are and who you're calling us to be in Jesus name. Amen. We're continuing in our summer sermon teaching series on this letter to uh, the Roman church, the the newborn uh, church group of believers in the city of Rome. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing of encouragement and also writing to uh, teach them. Over the uh, next few weeks and months, we'll be having a number from Avon Hope also sharing in this time together, Jael Amador, uh, Lincoln Alabaster, and if you've missed any of the messages, you can always go to avonhope.org where you can get caught up with all that has been going on. And so as we consider Romans chapter 3 today, let's take just a moment and define a couple of the terms that are prominent here. First of all, the idea of righteousness. Now, righteousness is kind of a term that is very familiar in, uh, in Christian circles or religious circles, but it's actually a really old a concept that uh, transcends Christianity, the uh, ancient Greek word that was translated in, in, into English as righteousness is uh, actually dekeos and it is derived from the word DK which is actually a name. It's the name of one of the princesses, one of the three uh, daughters of the Greek god Zeus. And DK was the goddess of justice. Uh, She judged over the actions of humanity, and so righteousness describes when a person's behavior fits into the framework of their uh, society, and when they've fulfilled the uh, rightful obligations, whether it's toward God or to their fellow human beings. And so this idea of righteousness, again, transcends the Christian use of the concept and goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks and the Greek uh, princess, DK. Also a prominent term here is the uh, idea of law. And so law is the framework under which right and wrong actions are determined. And so DK would use law to judge fairly. So you have the, the law, which is the agreed upon moral standards for the society and, uh, and then you have a judge who determines whether a person or a group of people or society are uh, operating within the parameters of, of this uh, law. And so laws are designed to hold people accountable and they are related to one's uh, ethic, the moral principles that govern a person's be- behavior. And so law implies order, fairness, Uh, Justice, and so on. And so, when the Bible, though, talks about the law, it's usually talking about one of three things either the the Ten Commandments, uh, the entire book of Deuteronomy, or possibly even the entire Torah, the entire teaching of uh, Moses, which is included in the first five books of the Bible. Now, I would assert to you that everyone, or most everyone, on planet earth has some set of or, or sets of laws that they use to guide their uh, behavior. Uh, it doesn't matter if you consider yourself religious or not, it's likely that you judge yourself or uh, maybe uh, even more so judge other people based on your own uh, set of laws that you have for yourself. Sometimes these laws are written, they're part of a uh, a, a religious uh, body, uh, but oftentimes people have laws, especially those who would claim no religion, laws that they've kind of cobbled together themselves, and it's just their moral code for how uh, society is to operate or how they are supposed to operate. And so, again, I assert to you that everybody has a set of moral codes or a moral code that they either judge themselves or judge others on. Now, you know, there are those who consider themselves amoral who just are like, you know, no law, um, you know, but as soon as you cut them off on the highway or steal their MacBook, um, the moral code shows up in their indignation, right? I mean, I don't don't know anyone, religious or not, who, you know, something happens to them like their computer gets stolen and they're like, well, you know, I'm amoral, I guess. I guess that's how it works, how the world works. Um, I was at a, uh, a Yankee game last week, and I was going down on the, on the, the, the B. I usually take the four, five, or, or, the, or the five back here, but I was going a different way, and it was packed. There was a lot of people, so it was like wall-to-wall. So I, I have, um, and I should correct this, I play roulette with my subway cards unwisely. I have one card that is, is, is bountiful. It has money on it. And then I have another card that has nothing on it. I need to take the time to when I'm swiping to put one Kyle informed me that one in one pocket, one in the other. But of course I would forget that anyway by the time I got home and we'd be back to where I am. So I have one so we're we're pressed and there's like, you know, hundreds of people trying to go through the turnstile. This has never happened. So I play my roulette and I swipe the card and of course it's not the one with any money on it. But this joker behind me, he's anxious to go, and what does he do? So, you know, you swipe that thing, and then you get stopped by the thing. Well, he's anxious, so he swipes his card, and there's money on it, and I go through. (laughs) Sucker! (laughs) Guess what? He had a moral code. He was not happy. Fortunately, I had my other code, and I, too, have a moral code, and everything was and we hugged afterwards. It was beautiful. Everybody, everybody, or most people have a moral code. Just this is the way things are, this is the way things are supposed to be, and when things don't go according to to plan or they don't operate according to their own own moral code, that creates uh, chaos. Uh, Yet if we're honest with ourselves, uh, the reality is whether you made up your own moral code or you're using the moral code of a religious body or some other group, uh, most of us also find it really uh, difficult to live up to our moral uh, codes, even if it's one that we make up, and that's somewhat uh, ironic. Uh, Paul, in our text of emphasis, actually affirms this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. Paul, Paul is asserting, like, hey, there is no one who does a right all the time. There's no one who can be called uh, righteous, who who is always in the good graces of of the goddess of justice. And so we have to ask ourselves, why uh, is this? Why is it so incredibly uh, challenging to keep up with our own, even if it's our own moral codes? Why why is being ethical so terribly uh, difficult? Uh, why are we so incredibly inconsistent when it comes to living up to our moral code? And so I have a s- couple of suggestions to as we wrestle with that question. First of all, uh, living ethically, i.e. adhering to one's moral code, requires a consistent and coherent moral code in the first place. So you have to have a consistent and coherent moral code in the first place if you're really going to be able to live ethically in, in, in light of that. Uh, now, as a, as a, a believer myself, you know, I would assert to you that something like, let's say, the Ten Commandments, uh, there's actually a lot of just practical coherence there. It, 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 it makes sense, both in its relationship that we are designed to have with God and our relationship with, the, with, with each other. I mean, you know, don't kill each other. That, that is pretty coherent. But not all the moral codes that, uh, that exist, and, and quite frankly, not even all of the moral codes in the Bible uh, make sense for this time and this place. I mean, you know, the Bible talks about burning down your house because you find mold uh, in it. That doesn't make a whole lot of uh, sense anymore. We don't need to, if you, you know, don't for heaven's sake, if you find mold in your apartment, don't burn down your apartment. You're probably going to go to jail. That doesn't that, that doesn't make sense. But but whether it's a, a a code that's written like that or it's your own uh, moral code, if it's incoherent, it's going to be very difficult for you to live in line with it because that it's just not going to uh, work. And I think of one one very sad uh, example of this. I uh, when I was in a seminary at uh, Andrews way back you know decades ago. Um, it, was, it was around the time of the Rwandan genocide, several years afterwards, and I remember sitting with a survivor who's in a class, another theology student, and um, he uh, just started, you know, weeping in the, in the class. We were talking about some subject, and then he relayed the story of Seventh-day Adventists who were, were you know, Orthodox believers and uh, they were involved in the killing of their neighbors. But on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, do you know what they did? They stopped killing people. Why? Because it was the Sabbath. See, that's that's an incoherent, I mean, that's a terrible example, but this is absolutely the case. That's an incoherent moral code. You're killing people, but up the Sabbath, remember the commandment, it's one of our favorites, can't, you know, kill on the Sabbath. So you stop killing on the Sabbath, and then you resume on the next day of the week. It's a horrific, but that's a, a, a very sad and disturbing example of an inconsistent and incoherent moral code. And so you're not going to be ethical if, you're, uh, if your moral code is not consistent and uh, coherent. Uh, secondly, I would, uh, I would say that uh, living ethically takes persistent thoughtfulness and reflection. Uh, You have to evaluate your situation all the time. I mean, if you want to live in a relationship with your moral code, you always have to kind of be checking yourself with that moral code, processing your actions against your ethical belief, against your belief system. And the challenge with that is that we are tired. Are you tired? I mean, maybe you're not tired today. It's, you know, Saturday, and it's, you know, it's 62. Is it 62 degrees out? It's, it's almost chilly, and, you know, you're having a good day, and you got up and maybe had breakfast, and then you showed up here. But, you know, otherwise, you know, many of us are, are, are tired. If you're not tired right now, you've, you've, you've been tired when you had to exercise your ethics, and this is challenging. One of my, one of my uh, favorite uh, books, uh, practical books, and I've shared this with you before, so bear with me, is a book called Simply Willpower, and it's based on the research of uh, Will Balmeister, who was working to try to determine whether willpower is a real thing or not. There was some question at, at t- some time back among uh, those who study such things as to whether willpower was real or not. And so, Ballmeister did a lot of research to determine whether willpower was a real thing or not, and he basically came to the conclusion that indeed willpower is a real thing, and it functions very much like a muscle. And that is that you know you use a, a muscle, and uh, you might start off and you're feeling really great, but as you continue to move uh, use the muscle of your working out, that that muscle gets tired, and when it gets tired, it's incapable of doing what it's designed to do at the level that you need it. Uh, to do and so willpower very much like that that when you you, you start the day especially if you have a good night night's rest and you eat some breakfast and you you know you go to the, the office and there's that uh coworker and that coworker is, is playing you know that 1980s channel that you despise but your willpower is so strong and you're like no problem the pesh mode heard that 30 times can't take it anymore, but you can take it because you have willpower early in the morning, and so you don't take their iPad and throw it across the office because your willpower is strong. You guys with me here? You know what I'm talking Okay, so willpower, so it's, when it's strong, everything's good. You can control of yourself, but over the day, there's only so much Depeche Mode you can take, and you, the willpower, and it's very much like a video game I don't know if any of you are gamers here I'm not really a great gamer but in video games you know they have a the little symbol up on the side that tells you how your health is and as you get things happening your health starts to decrease that this actually happens uh, to you on a daily basis your health that decreases and uh, you know until you get to lunch lunch you get the boost because you go out to lunch and you eat something delicious and then because this is all re- related to our physiology or your blood sugar all of this is related to willpower and you come back and you're ready to go. But by the end of the day, your willpower is very, very uh, low. And so the idea that living ethically requires persistent thoughtfulness and reflection, we always kind of have to be checking in with our moral code. Once you get tired or your willpower is low or you're not feeling up to it, the likelihood is you are going to live inconsistently with your Uh, ethics, with your moral code, you're not going to be ethical, and so living ethically takes persistent thoughtfulness and reflection, but we get tired, we get worn out, our willpower gets low, our own physiology is working against us. Uh, Finally, as we can consider why are we so inconsistent when it comes to our own ethics, living uh, ethically can be incredibly inconvenient. Uh, inconvenient at best, I'll say that. Um, Eve Weissman writes this in The Guardian. She's an editorialist there. She says, uh, my friend and I purchased the same book on Amazon, and it changed us, but in quite different ways. The book was Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. And it's an examination of the gruesome way poultry and cattle are slaughtered to produce cheap meat for people like me, she says. A quarter of the way through, I closed it and tucked it on the shelf. I knew that if I continued to read, I would no longer be able to enjoy the roast chicken or the, the duck or the o- oily lardens. She's from me. I don't even know what that is. What's an oily larden? Where's Derek? Anyway. Somebody from England can tell us it's a meat knotted in spaghetti. She says, I knew I'd have to be a better person. I'd have to live a slightly less lovely life, and so I stopped reading the book. While it opened my eyes to my failings and my limits, Becca, her friend, finished the book and became a vegetarian. She goes on. Eve goes on. As I read about the ethical problems with Airbnb... Uber, and every other smiling company that makes our lives easier. I am under no illusion about my own goodness. I believe it is almost impossible to live ethically as a human being. There's no way for humans to inhabit the world. uh, There's no way to inhabit the world is there without spooling something crucial. We are massive ruiners. That, actually, that's a great assessment. We are massive ruiners as, as human beings. If we want to stay clean and warm, and, and, and if we want to laugh, it's highly likely that somebody or something will feel the negative effects of our basic joy, and when we do act ethically, isn't the main gain simply uh, a sense of well-being? Perhaps the most vanilla of all the senses. However hard we try, there will be something we get wrong. Since giving up meat, Becca brushes off regular questions from local uh, people about how things like the carbon footprint of her salad uh, will affect her ethics and she keeps munching on. Then then Eve finishes with this. Worse, when I see people trying to be better, when I have lunch with my friend uh, Becca with her peanut noodles and fishless fingers, I feel a silent judgment. It comes from inside me. She doesn't care what I eat. It's me. I feel bad about the route my sandwich filling took to get to my plate, and sitting with her reminds me of that, so I will be tempted to try and undermine her choice by asking about the leather of her shoes. Scum. (laughs) But I guilt barter. That's a great term. I guilt barter. We each have a certain moral budget, and I choose to spend mine on meat and Amazon. I choose my thing. So Eve is clear; like we can't be ethical. There's just there's no way around it. She's, she sounds like Paul. I can't be ethical, and so and there are so many choices in the modern, and contemporary world in which we have, have the have to have to choose and, and measure our, our 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 morals against what we're doing. That I you know there's we're just not going to be ethical. In some areas, and there's no way around it. It's almost impossible to live uh, ethically, says Eve Wiseman, and again, she is just echoing the very words of Paul. No one is righteous. We don't have hope. You're not going to do it. You're not going to be the person that you want to be. Doesn't matter if you, even if you set your own moral. A code, and even if you make it incredibly streamlined, the reality is there's going to become a time or a place where your willpower is low, or you just—it's inconvenient for you, and you are going to deny your own moral code. And so that leaves us with the last question: What hope do we have? I mean, is is society just uh, bound to the to the abyss? I mean, if there's no hope. If, 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 if Eve, Even uh, Eve Wiseman, as smart as she can be, is acknowledging we can't be ethical. It's almost impossible to live ethically. What hope do we have? Are we doomed to live inconsistent and unfulfilled lives while all the time having this nagging feeling that we're never going to be the person that we're designed to be? I Eve mean, says she sits there and, and is judging her, her, herself and we probably all uh, experience it, that when we feel condemnation, we feel a judgment, and so then sometimes we, we guilt-barter. What hope do we have? Well, the good news is that there is one who lived consistently. There is one who has lived uh, ethically. There is one who, whose uh, beliefs align with our, our practices. Uh, we're told that Jesus taught that serving the least of society was an imperative. And we read in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2 that a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said to him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This was a challenge to Jesus' ethics who said, you know, you've got to embrace everyone In the least of society are those that you have to embrace the most. And yet, uh, we know that leprosy is is a contagious disease. And so if Jesus was smart, he would get out of there because you don't want to be infected uh, too. But uh, verse 3 of Matthew 8 says that Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the man was cleansed of leprosy. Where, where moral code and, and ethical behavior come together, we see this in Jesus. Jesus also said, uh, love your enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We were also told in Luke chapter 23 and verse 33 when, that when they brought Jesus out to the place called the skull... They crucified him. They nailed him to a piece of wood. And he was along he was with other criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said and cried out, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And they were meanwhile dividing up his clothes. So here are his his enemies for all intents and purposes. And they were dividing up his clothes. They had just nailed him to the cross. And Jesus is able to say, Forgive them. In Jesus, we have a man who was able to, to, to have a moral code, to embrace a moral code, but also to live ethically, to live up to that uh, moral code. Jesus was able to do what none of us have been able to do. And the good news is he isn't just a great example for us in this. It's not like, well, Jesus did it. And, and by the way, this is, a, this is a challenge that you'll hear in many Christian contexts. Hey, Jesus did it. You should be able to do it too. Jesus lived ethically. What's your problem? Go and live ethically. Be like Jesus. Listen, you're never going to be like Jesus. Can we just be honest with that? If you hear that in Christian circles, be like Jesus, you're never going to be like uh, Jesus on your own. It's just never going to happen. You're never going to live up to the ethical code, even if you establish your own ethical code all by yourself. And that's why The words of our text of emphasis today are so incredibly important. In Romans chapter 3 and verse uh, 21, Paul is addressing this issue of our own incapability of living up to our own moral code. But now, apart from the law, the right living of God has been made known, to which the, the Bible testified. This... Right living is given through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified, which literally means called righteous. Justified in righteousness, actually, it's the same root word. All who are called righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. The implication here of what Paul is saying is, is, is very clear. First of all, Jesus indeed did what we can't do. He lived up to the ethical code that we've never been able to live up to, but he's not just an example for us. If he's just an example for us, we are more than lost. In him we have hope for a future because by what he's done, we have hope that he can do in us what we can't do. John Stott, one of our favorite theologians here, has said that Christianity isn't a religion. Christianity isn't religion. It's good news. It's it's, it's, it's not a religion. If you think of Christianity as a religion, as a set of of codes or things that we should act and do, then you're you're off. Christianity is not just another set of moral codes. Christianity is good news, and that is... Despite what your moral code is, whatever your moral code is, in Jesus, we have hope for actually fulfilling that moral code, that something that you will never do on your own. Apart from the law, apart from your moral code, now we have a righteousness, an ability to, for right action that has been made known from, from God, to which the Bible speaks about, and this right living is given to each person through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. By the way, there's no uh, prejudice in this. Everyone who believes. All have sinned, but this gift is for every person. Jew, Gentile, black, white, doesn't matter. Everybody is in on this. Everybody has the opportunity to embrace this work that God has done on our behalf. Christianity isn't a religion. It's simply good news. You'll never live up to even your own moral code. You won't live up to the Bible's moral code. Thanks be to God for doing what we cannot do. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Today, it's our opportunity to embrace this work of God, you don't have to go home and, and think about all the ways in which you have fallen short. Whether you are a follower of Jesus and you have embraced the moral code of the Bible or you set up your own moral code, you don't have to go home and think to yourself, I, I've fallen short and I need to get it together because the reality is, uh, the bad news is you're never gonna get it together. But the good news is, as we embrace Jesus' work, the one who had it together all the time, we have hope for a different kind of future. Paul leaves us with an important question in this context. He says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. And then he asks this question, Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Well, okay, so if you know, it's faith in Jesus that really transforms things, Do we nullify the the law? And he says, no, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. The implication is is clear. Look, you don't get rid of the moral code. The moral code is still a a, a positive thing just because you can't do it. You know, you don't cancel your gym membership because you can't do a push-up. In Jesus We are empowered to do what we cannot do, and this leads back to not not getting rid of the law, but upholding the law. The law is a good thing. It's God's plan that you will live according to the moral code. You'll just never do it on your own, but the good news is he's done it, and as you have embraced what he's done, he's able to work in you to do what you cannot do. This is Christianity, and this is why Christianity isn't a religion. It's good news. Law isn't the problem. It's our ability to keep the law that's the problem. And we're never going to do it on our own, but Jesus is not asking us to do it on our own. He's inviting us to embrace his work and let him do in us what we can't do for our own. Let him empower us. As we continue on this journey, this letter that Paul wrote to those Romans, may this also be a letter of encouragement to us. There is a God in this universe who cares about us, who hasn't left us on our own. We don't have to be overwhelmed and depressed by the fact that we are never living up to the kind of person that we want to be. We can take heart that God has offered through the work of Jesus, hope for the future. And now, in faith, we can embrace it. Amen.